Uh, we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark. We're preaching through the Gospel of Mark in our Sunday morning services, and we are here in Mark chapter 6, and a message I call the man who preached himself to death. John, uh, Matt, I've, I've done it again. Uh, it's about John the Baptist, you see, and I keep wanting to say that I'm preaching in John when I'm actually in Mark. Mark chapter 6 and verse 16. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. The story before us today is a triumphant story, but it's also a very tragic story. The story of the last of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist. This story is unique in Mark's gospel because Mark introduced his message to us in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1 by saying that he was going to give us the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so all of the stories in Mark's gospel were about Jesus, uh, except for this one. And this is the one where he told us about what happened to John the Baptist. In a way, the story of these two cousins was interwoven from the very beginning. John first met Jesus when both of them were in their mother's womb. The story is told in Luke chapter 1 and verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth, that's John the Baptist's mother, heard the greeting of Mary, Jesus' mother of course, that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a few verses before this, in verse 15 in Luke chapter 1, uh, the Bible said that John the Baptist would be filled with, his, with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And so Luke chapter 1 and verse 15 makes that promise, and here it is playing out before us. You see, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so there's some kind of connection there, just like we talk about a person who is drunk as being under the influence of alcohol. So in the same way, a person who is filled with the Spirit is under the influence of the Spirit. And so that what they're saying and what they're doing then is being controlled by the Spirit of God. Uh, now, Elizabeth was just barely in her third trimester here of her pregnancy. Uh, the baby was just over six months, between six months and seven months along. And so that baby, John, would not have known uh, what was going on, but the Holy Spirit did. And so he was controlled under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was working in John the Baptist even when he was still inside his mom. And interestingly, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit caused him to jump, leap. <laughs> but also, told a little bit later, he leaped for joy. Think about that a minute. In an American culture that tells us that even at this stage of pregnancy, that we're just talking about a lump of flesh like a tumor. 
And I just, I just want to say something today and say it very, very plainly and very deliberately. And I thought carefully how to say this. And I just decided to say it very plainly because I mean it plainly. Abortion is a terrible thing. There's really no argument for abortion at any time. But abortion in the third trimester is barbaric. Only a few countries, the United States being one, allows this practice. And yet still there's abortion on demand right up till the time the baby is supposed to be born. We ought to reflect for just a moment today, and I hope you have. About there's baby John the Baptist still inside his mother. And yet he's able to feel not just pain, but joy. Joy. The Bible says it. John would enjoy then a remarkable ministry over the course of his life, although it was somewhat meteoric. He would preach primarily in the Judean wilderness. And that's just the area of the desert country around about Jerusalem. And he preached the message that Jesus would soon be preaching himself. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, we're told what John the Baptist's message was. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4.12, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Verse 17 then tells us, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, yeah, there it is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same message. And I give you this this morning from Matthew in order to set the time period for you. You see, John was put into prison Shortly after the temptation of Jesus, when he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. It was shortly after that then when John was put into prison. So by the time of the events of our text that Mark covers here, John's been in jail for about a year. About a year. The story that plays out before us is reminiscent of the story of Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah in the Old Testament. You had a faithful prophet preaching God's message. You had an evil, despotic king. The Bible says that there was none like unto Ahab who sold himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. A faithful prophet, an evil potentate, and a plotting, manipulative, ruthless wife who thought nothing of committing horrible atrocities in order to accomplish whatever it is that she wanted. But there the similarity ends, for Elijah would go to heaven without the touch of the death dew on his brow. He would step out into a flaming chariot of fire and go home. John the Baptist would be beheaded in prison. But perhaps it was the story of Elijah And the fact that Elijah had been prophesied to return before the Messiah came, and that maybe it was all of that interwoven together that had Herod all upset. In fact, that's what our text says, verse 14. Now King Herod heard of him and heard of Jesus, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, no, it is Elijah. Another said, it is the prophet, that's the Messiah, or like one of the prophets. 
But when Herod heard, he said, This is John whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. And so this morning we have before us this story, the story of John the Baptist. Of all people, John the Baptist ended up preaching himself to death. It's a dark story, a tragic story, but we'll see. It's also a triumphant story. So let's get started. We'll see that how John preached himself to death is simply explained. He preached the truth about sin. Verse 17 Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his wife, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. For John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Herodias, you see, was the wife of Philip. Herod's brother. Now Philip had been exiled from the land of Israel and lived in Rome. And so there was a time, we don't know when, exactly when Herod visited his brother Philip and became infatuated with Philip's wife, uh, Herodias. Now Herod at the time was married himself. He was married to the daughter of a king named Aratus and In fact, when he found out that his daughter had been divorced and that Herod had remarried, he was so angry that he actually took an army and invaded Galilee and attacked Herod and his army. And had it not been for the intervention of Rome, uh, Herod would have been defeated and probably killed. Uh, So he was saved. This marriage then was infamous. It cost a lot of people their lives. A lot of people died. Because of Herod's infatuation with his brother's wife Herodias and ultimately marrying her and divorcing his wife. Now John the Baptist was preaching repentance. And nobody in Israel needed to repent any more than Herod did. He was called the Tetrarch. The word Tetrarch means that he was a ruler over a fourth of the kingdom. There were uh, three other rulers. After Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided then into four parts. And Herod was one of the Tetrarchs. John the Baptist preached mostly in Judea and Herod's uh, territory was in Galilee. So we don't know exactly how they got together. Maybe Herod was on a trip to Jerusalem and John the Baptist just uh, knew they were coming and set himself up and just unloaded the wagon on him. I I don't know. Uh, Maybe uh, John the Baptist uh, decided that God had given him a message and he needed to go preach. So he went up to Galilee and just confronted him. Uh, If so, then John the Baptist would have been acting completely in keeping with what we see from a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament who went to the kings and preached truth to those in power. However it worked out, they got together and John the Baptist preached directly to them and his message was simple, you need to repent because your marriage to Herodias wasn't right. He had taken his brother's wife. Now, by the way, uh, Herodias was Philip's niece as well. And so that means that she was also Herod's niece. So Philip married his niece Herodias. Herod came for a visit, got infatuated with her. I mean, this is just a 
convoluted, sinful days of our lives kind of mess. John preached a general message of repentance, and we all do. And I'll tell you right up front that it's a lot easier to stand before a crowd and preach that general message of of, of repentance because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means that all people everywhere need to repent. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are hell-bound sinners and heaven-bound sinners, and both of them need to repent. We never outgrow our need for repentance, but it's a whole lot easier to stand before a crowd of people and preach to them their need of repentance. I I can do that faithfully. Well, I'll never stand before a crowd where I would say, for the most part, that preaching repentance would be inappropriate. I'll preach repentance at a funeral. I've done it many times before and will again. Repentance simply means to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. We've seen that over and over again. So John preached a kind of generic form of repentance. Jesus did too. But here he has called out this situation between Herod and Herodias. Very personal, very upfront. And and John the Baptist wasn't above that. He did it several times. We know about in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, John saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism. That would have been quite a feather in his cap for many of the Pharisees and Sadducees to have been baptized by John. But John saw those people, all of their religious pomp and ceremony, and he knew there wasn't a repenting hair anywhere on their body. There was nothing about them, not an ounce of repentance anywhere in their hearts. And he knew it. Why wouldn't these people repent? (laughs) Because they didn't believe they'd done anything wrong. Sound familiar? You see, the preaching of sin and the preaching against sin runs into a problem when you're telling people they've sinned and they don't think they've done anything wrong. And so this was what John the Baptist was doing. This is what Jesus had done. And there when he saw those self-righteous Pharisees coming to him, he said, no, I won't baptize you. You see, without repentance, without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, baptism is meaningless, and John knew it. He refused to do so. And so that act of repentance, that is acknowledging our sin, trusting Jesus as our Savior then, it is is predicatory to the rite of baptism. Without that, then baptism is meaningless. John refused to do it. So it wasn't just a one-time thing for John to look people eye to eye, so to speak, and say, you know, what you're doing is not right. It wasn't even just a one-time message. The text, in fact, indicates that John was preaching this a lot, either directly to Herod and Herodias when he saw them, or indirectly by preaching to the people as an example of the kind of sin that needed to be repented of. You see, it's difficult to preach against sin. But I want you to see John was preaching against sin when it is prevalent, when it's popular, when it's practiced by people in power, whether it's in politics or in the press. It's tough. 
John preached the Word of God then to a generation of people rushing headlong away from the Word of God. Why were everybody, why were these people going along with what Herod was doing? Why weren't they howling in protest? Why were there so many that supported him and what he did? Well, divorce in this time had become very popular. In fact, they had interpreted the Old Testament law to mean that a man could put away his wife or divorce his wife for any reason. Under Jewish law, a woman did not have the right legally to divorce her husband. But a man could divorce his wife for any reason. And what did that constitute? What did they have to do to divorce their wife? They wrote out a bill of divorcement. How did they do that? It said, I divorce you. And she's divorced. No property rights. No rights for the children. You say that didn't seem like a very fair system. It wasn't. Jesus blasted that system, by the way. But that was very popular, very prominent. It was so, such an influential teaching. Remember that when Jesus reminded them of what God said when He performed the first wedding... <laughs> For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave or be joined unto his wife. And he went on then, and they too shall be one flesh. He went on then, Jesus did, to add this commentary on it. What therefore? He said, God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. And you know, after Jesus taught that, the disciples said, Well, Lord, you know, if this be so, it would be good for a man not to get married at all. You see, even, even they were blown away by what Jesus said. And uh, we still struggle with it to this day. Why? Because it's become so popular and prominent and so acceptable in our culture. And folks, I want to tell you this morning, I, I, I understand. I, I know many of you have gone through the heartache and heartbreak of divorce. I'm not trying to rub salt into your wounds. I'm just telling you the Bible is very clear God did not intend for us to get divorced. He intended for us to get married and stay married and die married. That's, that's what He intended. The two should be one flesh. Now, if that didn't work out for you and you had to get a divorce, then the proper response is just what we talk about in this passage. You repent. You acknowledge that. And God, when we confess our sins, is what? faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to come to that point. Yeah, this wasn't what God intended. And so, when we deal with these, this whole passage, we, we understand the difficulty. We understand the difficulty that John had, but John meant no words at all. What was happening was wrong. And apparently he preached about it a lot because there were so many people in Israel who had devalued the whole institution of marriage. Let me remind you today, brothers and sisters in Christ, marriage was God's idea. And it's not like you have to read all the way over to the end of Revelation before you find that out. It's right there in the first book. First couple of three chapters, it's right there. Marriage is important. Marriage is precious. Marriage is used as an example 
of the relationship between Christ and His church, between God and His people. Don't enter it lightly. Don't treat it flippantly. See, it, it, it's tough. It was tough then. It's tough now to preach against sin. It's tougher to preach against sin that's become popular and acceptable and is defended by the masses. This is why Herod's situation was coming up in John the Baptist preaching so much and why Herod slapped him in jail. So how do you preach yourself to death? Well, you preach the truth against sin when it's popular. And then the second thing that happened was that John's preaching produced conviction, but not repentance. You see, Jesus was preaching repentance, and He demonstrated His power then over demons and over disease and even death. He sent the twelve then out to... But the same thing, he gave them power over demons and over diseases. And they went out and preached the same thing that Jesus had been preaching. Repentance, uh, repent and, and believe, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when John the Baptist heard all this, or when uh, Herod rather heard this, he concluded that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. Uh, after all, they'd all said that uh, that might happen, that Elijah was going to come. And uh, in a way, their facts were right. You see, John the Baptist would rise from the dead. And, and, and by the way, if you die before Jesus comes, you'll die, rise from the dead too. It just his facts was all wrong. You know, Matthew's account said that when Jesus was raised from the dead, many bodies of the saints arose at the same time, and they showed themselves to many. Wouldn't it have been great if one of those was John the Baptist? I, mean, I can't tell you that. Don't go away saying I preached that because I really didn't. I just said, wouldn't it be great? It'd be just like God to do something like that, though. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Uh, but if John wasn't among that number of those people when Jesus arose from the dead, that many of the bodies of the saints arose and appeared to many, if John wasn't among that number, then he'll be among the number of all of the sainted dead, all of those who have died in Christ. But one day, not only rise from the dead, but they'll rise first. <laughs> then the Bible says, we that are alive and, and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. There is indeed going to be a great getting up morning. Oh, and what a day that's going to be. Yeah, I, I got to move on or I'd really preach on that a long time. If you want to read about that, it's in Matthew 27, 53, by the way. Well, the Bible tells us, though, what had happened. Uh, verse 19, Herodias had a quarrel against John and would have killed him, but she could not, for Herod filled John, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him. And when he had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. There's some things that the text points out to us that happened in response to John's preaching. John preached against sin and the people were convicted but they didn't repent. The Bible says that Herod feared John and he heard him gladly and then did many things. We don't know what the many things were that Herod did. No doubt he did some good things, maybe some good deeds, but I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't repent of his sin because he stayed married to Herodias. He didn't trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. 
but he heard him, he heard him gladly, and he did some things, but he didn't repent of his sin. He didn't give up his marriage to Herodias. That would be a costly mistake. A few years later, Herodias would uh, entice Herod uh, to go up to Rome and visit with the then Emperor Caligula and request that his kingdom territory be expanded. But somebody got to Caligula before Herod did, and as a result, uh, they convinced Caligula that Herod was an enemy, and he ended up exiled, and Herod and Herodias both ended up dying in exile and in disgrace. Herod would have been a lot better off if he'd have listened to John the Baptist and got shed of that woman. That, that, that's what he should have done. This is not lawful. This is not right. This is, gonna, this is bad news for you. But he didn't listen. So we don't know what all he did, but I know what he didn't do. He didn't repent. He didn't turn from his sin. He didn't turn to God. I remember one of the first churches that I went to pastor many, many years ago. I was complimented when the lady told me that in spite of my youth, I, I, was, I was doing some great preaching, she said. And she went on to tell me, she said, you'll do well here because our church likes good preaching. She smiled. I could see that smile in my mind to this day. She smiled. She said, no, we're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> uh, but we like good preaching. She was kind of making a joke, kind of wasn't. I have to tell you, though, this morning that what that lady said was absolutely wrong. Uh, you see, they did do something about the preaching they got. For the most part, a lot of them did. They rejected it. That's what Herod, you can't say Herod didn't do anything. Oh, yes, he did something. He sure did. He rejected the message that God gave him. He fought against it. He rebelled against it. And so Herod, Herod was afraid. Herod was convicted by the message and he felt fear. But he didn't respond. Herodias was convicted too, but she didn't fear John. She hated John and was determined to kill him. She hated John because he told her the truth and he told everybody the truth about her. She hated John because her husband listened to him and didn't listen to her. She hated John because she knew what he said was the gospel truth. Then there came what the Bible says in verse 21 was a convenient day. You see, this morning when the Word is preached and conviction, the Holy Spirit works so that it comes home in our heart. And when conviction comes, it's time to respond to that is right then. I've preached this for 40 years now plus, and I've, I've done it in private many times. Listen, when you're under conviction, when you hear the Word of God preached, and you feel that in your heart, that is not the power of human persuasion. That is the power of the mighty Spirit of God taking His Word and bringing it directly to you. And the time to respond is right then. The Bible says today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. That's what Herod and Rhodius did. Reminded of the time when Paul preached to the Roman governor Felix. And Felix said, some more convenient time, I'll hear you. There's never a convenient time to repent. <laughs> uh, this, we'll never get up this morning, in the morning and say, you know, this would be a good day for me to repent. No, there's not a convenient time. The time to do it is when the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart. 
when the Word of God comes to you and you know that what you've heard is the truth, the time to respond is then. But there is a convenient time. There's a convenient time for rejection. There's a convenient time for rebellion and it plays out in this scene. On Herod's birthday, he celebrated it by throwing himself a huge party. Herodias had a daughter, Miss Phillips. By this time, she was a teenager, and she sent her teenage daughter, after Herod and all of his friends got good and lit, and, and that means drunk for those of you who aren't from South Arkansas, after, after Herod got and his buddies all got good and drunk, she sent her teenage daughter in to dance very lewdly, very suggestively. Can you imagine? Uh, we can certainly follow Herodias' thinking. After all, Herod had had a thing for his niece. That was her, Herodias. So it wouldn't be a big step for her to think that he would also be enticed by his great niece. If he was enticed by his brother Philip's wife, and he was, he'd probably be enticed by his brother Philip's daughter, too, and he was. This is the awful character of Herod. It is also the awful character of Herodias. Verse 22 then says, When Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her. He affirmed it then with an oath. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. John had quite a price on his head. According to them, he was worth half the kingdom. John the Baptist was worth a lot more than that. She came in and with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. You see their refusal to repent. It brought fear to Herod. It brought rage to Herodias. It brought horrible, lewd behavior to their daughter. And then it quickly brought pride and death. Verse 26, the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he didn't want to refuse her. But immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Herod knew John was right, and he knew John was a righteous man. He feared John. He listened to his preaching with gladness. He did many things in response to John's preaching. No doubt many good things, perhaps even charitable things. But he didn't repent. and He didn't believe. And he chose sin over the Savior. Now it comes to this. The Bible says Herod was sorry when she requested the head of John the Baptist. But he had promised to give her anything up to half the kingdom. 
would have been a little embarrassing for him to admit, hey, you know, I was just drunk. I didn't mean it. And here, here let, let me just pay you off. I mean, they paid off oaths all the time. It was common practice. He could have done that. But he didn't. He'd already chosen his sin, you see, over the Savior. And now, though he feared John, listen, he feared the opinion of his friends more. Remember, I told you that there is a part of this message, very much, many parts of it, that, that get into our world very much so. And this is where it was. Herod feared John. He knew the truth. But ultimately, he would fear his friends even more. You see, this is the great issue of our day. Who will we fear? Who will we worry about offending? What will we do? Will we speak the truth? Will we stand for the truth? Will we stand for what we know is right? Will we be intimidated by our friends? Will we be intimidated by popular culture? Are we afraid? Are we afraid of getting our name in the paper? <laughs> well, nobody, I guess, is afraid of getting their name in the paper anymore. Afraid of seeing your name on Facebook? Are we afraid of the cancel culture? Are we? So here's John. John, who was a righteous man. John, who preached the truth. John. 32 years old and dead with his head on a platter. But remember, I told you that there's more to the story. You see, it's not just a tragedy. It's a triumph because though John preached the truth about sin and he preached the truth about sin to people who were convicted by it but didn't repent, which made their whole situation terribly tragic. Yet in the end, John's preaching was victorious. How do we know that? Well, remember in verse 14, when Herod heard about everything that was going on, he said, this was John the Baptist coming back from the dead. John the Baptist said, I beheaded, by the way, coming back. He's coming back for me. I can summarize this very simply, folks. You can, you can kill the preacher, but you can't kill the preaching. You can kill the messenger, but you can't kill the message. You can stop. Somebody from talking, but you can't stop the truth of God. When John the Baptist heard all, of the, or when Herod heard all these people preaching about repentance, he immediately was thinking, "Man, this is John. This is John." The message was still burning in his heart. A few years later, there'd be a young Jewish rabbi on his road to on the road to Damascus to. Arrest some people there, Christian people. But though he was there going there to arrest them, he ended up himself being arrested as he was struck down a light that shone brighter than the noonday sun and a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the ox goads. It's a beautiful image, an ox goad, a very sharp 
a metal point they'd usually put on the end of a stick and they'd use it, of course, to what? Goad the ox. When the ox kicked on it, he quickly learned all that did is it made it gouge deeper and sometimes even drew blood. So the oxen quickly learned, don't kick against the ox goad. Paul was kicking against an ox goad. And he had got it before when he had dealt with that preacher Stephen that stood up to him and preached the gospel truth to him. Paul saw him beat to death with rocks. But the message, they silenced that preacher too, but the message couldn't be silenced. It was still right there in his heart. John didn't die in failure. John died in victory. Jesus would say of John the Baptist, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John. Nevertheless, he that is least or later in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That was the words of Jesus. So we close out with this big question for us today. Will we seek the well done of our Lord Jesus, or will we spend our lives traveling the popular path, worried about our friends, worried about opposition from the culture? Or will we fear God? Will we seek the applause of our friends, fearing somehow their disfavor or displeasure? Or will we fear God and anticipate the applause of heaven. You say, well, look what it got John. You know what I say? Look what it got John. You say he was beheaded. Yeah, but Jesus said, among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John. Look what it got John. Great is your reward in heaven. Look what Herod and Herodias got. They chose sin over the Savior. They died in their sins. They died in exile. They died in disgrace. They lost their kingdom. They lost their wealth. They lost their affluence. Considering the life that they all lived, most of us would probably say, Amen to that. They deserved it. They lost their position? Yeah, probably. Good enough for them. Lost their money? Well, good. Considering what they did, how they lived, we might even agree with it. I said might. Maybe even likely. That's not the end. They died in their sins. And they lifted up their eyes in hell. And they're still there today. <laughs> Look what John got. Look what Herod and Herodias got. You know, the Bible has a lot of tough things to say. It always has. 
It's not any less offensive or any more offensive today than it's ever been. It's just doing the same thing it's always done. Bible gives us a lot of hard things to say, but it also gives us a lot of glorious things. And as harshly sometimes and as severely as the Bible gives us the message of sin, aren't you glad that that same Bible gives us the message of our Savior? Aren't you glad that that same Bible says that God loved us, that Jesus died on the cross? Why? For our sins. So that whoever, whoever, Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You're one of those whoever today. I plead with you. Don't go out of this service like Herodias and Herod. Don't go out saying, good job, preacher, good message. Hearing me gladly. Don't make that mistake. Turn to Jesus. Repent. Turn from our sin. Turn to Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's stand together, please.